Hello. Hello to our wonderful listeners. We are so happy that you're back. Um, a little background. This is Emily and not Megan. Megan, uh, her creative schedule got a little harried this week. And so I'm going to go ahead and take care of our intro and exit stuff for my sister made me view it. Welcome. Welcome to our Megan's Choice, Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings. Uh, last week's episode, we actually ended up, it was way too long. So as if you'll recall, we originally had read chapters 60 through 65, but again, too long. So last week was chapter 60 through 62. This is part two, chapter 63 through 65. And I just about had a conniption because after I split everything and edited it, I went to open it today and these chapters 63 through 65 would not play at all. Luckily, I had already sent Megan a copy of the edited version, (laughs) but I'm sitting here calming down from an out-of-body experience. Uh, I'm just happy it's here. I'm just happy you guys get this and we didn't have to re-record anything. So again, welcome to My Sister Made Me View It, The Way of Kings edition, where you will be joined by me, Emily, one of your co-hosts, and Megan, the other co-host. And we should be writing our books and doing our storyboards and things like that, but instead, we're going to do a podcast! I'm so excited for these chapters, and so excited you're here on this journey with us. Without further ado, let's just jump right into part two! This is only three readings from the end. After this, we've only got two more readings, two more episodes, and we're done with the first book. Emily, how are you feeling about that? I don't know. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Oh, okay. Because so much has happened Uh in the 1,118 pages we've read so far, but I feel like the last half is really going to kick it up. And uh-huh. more is going to happen in these last two readings than everything that's happened throughout the rest of the book. <laughs> Through all of part four, Emily's been asking me, has the Brander Lanch started yet? Has the Brander Lanch started yet? Because in a Brandon Sanderson book, there's a lot of plot threads that are laid out. And there's usually a big climactic hullabaloo. And I was like, Emily, you'll know, you'll know, you'll know. So at the end of today's reading, the Brander Lanch kicks off. Yes! Oh, yes. So this week we read a lot, a lot, a lot, a, a lot. lot. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we read chapter 63, Fear, chapter 64, A Man of Extremes, and chapter 65, The Tower. Did you guys read this this week? Are you just like... Just letting us tell you what happened, because if you haven't read it, you should go read it. You know, I bet they didn't stop. I bet our listeners... I bet you're right! I bet our listeners made it to the plot twist at the end of the tower, the cliffhanger, and they got to keep on going. I had to stop. We... I mean, it was the holidays. I read this on Christmas Eve. It was a Christmas present to me, (laughs) is to read this. And it's halfway through January... 
And we were just getting to it now, and I've just been waiting to get to the next part. What was fun is over this last weekend, you and I re-listened to a bunch of our podcasts. You did. I ended up listening to all of the episodes we had released. And it's fun to see where we go from there to here. Yes. Where Emily's like, I'm never going to love Kaladin. And <laughs> this book is so long. And now she's like... What happened? What happened? What happened? Let's so, keep reading. We are going to get started. Chapter 63, Fear. Fear. Uh, it it kind of continues on the fallout of the battle and everything, but I will read the epigraph. Epigraph. So it says, I wish to sleep. I know now why you do what you do, and I hate you for it. I will not speak of the truths I see. Kakasha. 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 Kakashi. <laughs> Leader of Team 3 from Naruto. <laughs> Shout out to my fellow weebs. 1173, 142 seconds pre-death. A Shin sailor left behind by his crew reportedly for bringing them ill luck. Sample largely useless. What are these samples for? I don't know. Hey, who's gathering these samples? I'm going to say it's Yasna. Okay. With all of her... Because I feel like that's a sample largely useless. Like, I feel like that's one of the footnotes maybe mm-hmm. that she's she's taking is to, like, okay. this is, you know, relative to what I'm working on. This is not. But, Got you know, it. at least it's in one of the many notebooks that she has, I'm sure. Just one that Shalon didn't snoop in. Yeah. Um, so what's happening in Chapter 63 is that uh, they're working on getting armor for everybody not just the chosen few that are going to run around they're going to outfit the entire bridge crew with these carapace armor mm-hmm. pieces and this is a big deal because bridgemen have never been allowed mm-hmm. sword or shields before yeah but uh and shen is so sad you guys oh yeah this is pretty horrible i hate it i hate it i don't like what oh okay listen oh they're down in the chasms by the way. Oh, okay. They're, they're not just doing this in the... That's right. That's in right. In the... What's the word? War camp? The yard? The wood lumber yard Got where it. they practice running their bridge. Remember... I can't remember if it was on this podcast or another podcast. Oh, it must have been this one because we were talking about philosophy and I hate philosophy because they always throw out such weird, like, like the trolley problem where it's, like, absolutely uh-huh. ridiculous. and Or the, uh, <laughs> Yasna's philosophy yes. lesson. <laughs> and so, like... This would be a great philosophy lesson. I would love to see Yasna and Shalon argue this out where, mm-hmm. yeah, we're desic... Oh, no. <laughs> Did you find a toy, buddy? Oh, dear. It's all right. It's fine. Where, um, yes, they're desiccating, desecrating bodies, but it's saving lives. They're desecrating desiccated bodies. That's what it is. <laughs> But, you know, to them, they're saving lives, but it's very offensive, but that's the enemy. Like, there's all these, like, back and forth, but, 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 and... <sighs> so, there's something about things like the trolley problem that actually remind me of uh, problems submitted in high school physics, mm-hmm. where a lot of times they will give you a, you know, a pendulum problem or something rolling down a hill, and it will say, in this situation... Friction does not apply. Uh, Air resistance does not apply. Or this is in a vacuum where gravity does not apply. Mm -hmm. Where those are obviously things that will apply when you're doing them in real life. So issues like the trolley problem are, like, ludicrous to consider in a realistic scenario. Mm -hmm. For one thing, there aren't a lot of trolleys anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Especially ones that go that fast. 
Um, but it's meant to be a simplified version of a larger, more complex problem of, at, at the heart of it, the trolley problem is, do you hurt one person in order to prevent harm to a lot of people? Mm-hmm. And Kaladin and the, and, and oh, yeah, so there's a couple different steps to the trolley problem as well. So mm-hmm. it's not just, oh, there's one person tied on this track and there's four people tied on this track. If you do nothing... The trolley will run over four people, mm-hmm. but you can throw this lever so the trolley will only run over one person. Yeah. And the easy answer, like what seems like the clear answer is, oh, yes, of course, you throw the lever to run over just one person. And then there is a follow-up to the trolley problem. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, the one person and the other four are strangers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, yes, on a grand scale. Four lives are more valuable than one life, but what if that one life is someone who is precious to you? Important, yeah. So, like, what is the worth of a person? And so, like you're saying, yes, they're doing this to their enemy, and they're causing extraordinary, like, emotional damage damage to the enemy. (laughs) Here's the other thing is maybe why I'm having another issue with it. Here's my addendum, is that... Yeah, the Parshendi have claimed responsibility for Gavilar's death. I don't think they're the ones that caused Gavilar's death. So I don't know why they're fighting this war for something that I don't think they did. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's awful enough to be like, hey, we're fighting this for some other purpose, which maybe it's greater, but they're getting so much... Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Are you thinking that they're just fighting for the great shells and the gem hearts and this isn't about Gavilar at all for them? Yeah. That for them it's like solely a war of territory? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So Leighton is a bit of a craftsman putting uh, this armor together. And here's what we know about Carapace. It's nearly as hard as steel, but half the weight, it's hard to cut or break. But if you drill it, it shapes easily. Here's the thing. I'm worried that Sadius is going to be like, this is a great idea. And either start looting bodies for the carapaces or getting the soul casters Mm -hmm. to start making carapace armor for his armies. Why did Leighton get sent to the bridges? Okay. Well, I will tell you. Thank you. He was an apprentice. Oh, yeah. So Kaladin actually asks, you know, you were an apprentice armorer. How'd you get sent to the bridges? And Leighton explains that... When a piece of armor breaks and a light eyes takes an arrow in the shoulder, someone has to take the blame. I'm convinced my master keeps an extra apprentice, especially for these kinds of situations. Oh, I hate that. But now we have him. I guess. Kaladin starts the day giving everyone uh, spear training instructions because mm-hmm. he's the, basically he's squad leader. Yeah. Um, and then Teft takes over and, you know, is running everybody through the drills. And as Kaladin is watching the spearmen practice... Somebody's just really putting their whole heart into it. Somebody's a show-off. If you get to be horny for Talonar, I get to be horny for Moash. (laughs) Okay, fair trade, I guess. (laughs) Some stupid guy versus the the Blackthorn. I don't like him. So Kaladin sees a lot of himself in Moash. What particularly is Kaladin thinking of? Oh, this this part. Because Moash is kind of like throwing himself into this and not taking a break and just 
practicing over and over and over. And Kaladin um, talks about how, yeah, he, that he did that. Like, he literally is seeing himself in Moash because for the year after Tian's death, he, that's all he did was practice so he would be good enough to never lose anyone ever again. Which, your heart is in the right place, sir, but life is not like that. <laughs> and um, he tells Moash to take a break. Like, don't forget to take a break. I want to bring in someone, as, as Caliban's thinking over, somebody snapped Caliban out of this year-long... Oh, it was Ted. Ted. Nope. Tara. Ter- Tara, that's right. I knew it started with a T. You did. <laughs> You're thinking friend of the pod, Ted. <laughs> Hi, Ted. Hi, Ted. <laughs> what would have happened to him if Tara hadn't coaxed him out of his single-minded dedication? Would he have burned himself out, as she had claimed? Mm. And it, doesn't he mention that she's dead? Or something. Maybe I'm just figuring everyone nope. he knows has but died. But it, it feels like everyone it feels he knows like is everyone dead. Knows uh, I don't think he, he mentioned this, but you're right. He <laughs> tells Moash to take a break. Um, take a break. And Kaladin is talking about the change that he's seen in Moash. That <laughs> Emily rolls her eyes. Um, is that months ago, a lot of the bridgemen, including Moash, would have eagerly put the weakest bridgeman in front Mm -hmm. without a second thought. And now every single bridgeman is volunteering for the most dangerous jobs. And this is when Kaladin is really thinking that, oh, Sadius, you don't know what you have in these bridgemen. Mm -hmm. And he asks Moash the true meaning of Christmas. (laughs) No, he asks Moash why he's working working so hard. (laughs) Vengeance! Uh... Who's Moash trying to venge? He tells Kaladin he might tell him at one point. Which I feel... Okay. I feel is interesting because, one, they're all volunteering for the most dangerous parts. But you remember at the beginning, like, they don't even share their names with each other because Mm -hmm. that's all they have. And, like, Kaladin has, like, a mysterious past as well, you know. But I just find it interesting that, like, they still have pieces of themselves that they're keeping. And uh, a couple interesting things that I want to point out is we're saying that Kaladin is seeing all these similarities between he and Moash. Mm -hmm. And Moash brings up that there's a key difference between us. Kaladin asks, what is it? And Moash says, you've been training because you wanted to save people. I'm training because I have to kill someone. Yeah. And then one more key difference between Moash and the other Bridgman. Thank you for letting me wax on about Moash. You can do whatever you want. (laughs) It's half of my podcast. (laughs) Is that Moash doesn't call him sir. That's right. Doesn't he say that at the beginning? Like, I'm not going to call you sir. Or I don't not... think so. Okay, never mind. But he doesn't call him sir. And it makes Kaladin feel more comfortable around him. Because the other bridgemen all hero worship him. And Moash still deeply respects him. Like, they mention it when um, there's a line about how Moash, like the other bridgemen... Uh, treats Kaladin's backstory with respect and they and they don't go prying and poking about in it. But, um, yeah. Kaladin likes Moash. I like Moash. What's your problem? I don't know. I just never liked him. It was a snap decision and, like, I don't want to be proven wrong or right. You have changed your mind about one snap decision so far. That's it. You really liked Elokar at first. Yeah, I was just like, oh, it's the king. Oh, he, and then I'm just like, he's a wuss. Mm-hmm. But he has reason to be. Listen, I'm not heartless. 
Maybe a little. Um, and so right now I feel your mistrust. You deeply from the get go have distrusted Moash and you've distrusted Navani. Yeah. I think they have ulterior motives as proved by Moash saying, I'm here for vengeance. I don't know. Like, I feel like I can trust my gut. Yeah. Granted, these are made up. Maybe Characters. Moash has a secret wife you don't Maybe know about. Maybe he does. Oh, has a secret wife you don't know about. <laughs> I don't have a good reason, really, for not liking Moash. And I think the reason, I can't remember if I talked about it before, but Navani, when she was talking with Dalinar about, like, Dalinar wasn't sure if, what was it? Oh, Navani played with their affections. Yeah. And how, like, me personally, I find that terrible. And when people do that, it makes me really upset. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to feel about them in the future. I think I'm going to be really, really mad if Moash turns to be a decent guy. Uh-huh. Because I don't want him to be. Okay. Um, I remember your root of hatred for Moash is when Kaladin is initially trying to unite the Bridgemen, that Moash is the biggest detractor and yeah. the biggest whiner face. Yes, he is. Uh, and it's like, who's this guy? Uh, and he's apparently friends with Gaz because he was talking with Kat, with Gaz about, That's oh, right. they're gossiping together <laughs> about Kaladin. Mm-hmm. So we shall see, but right now I'm firmly in unfandom territory. Yeah, so uh, we we wrap up with this this nice scene with the Bridgman that they're planning their escape and things are going well and we've had a moment of reprieve. And I want to point something out to you as we move into chapter 64, which is a man of extremes. Mm-hmm. Everyone's biggest worry for the beginning of the book is now settled. Kaladin has his united Bridgman. Mm-hmm. Dalinar has finally broken the Horner Pact <laughs> and is given in to his relationship with Navani. And we even will have a small scene with Adolin, who's like, my father's not insane. My father's right. So this means they're moving into the battle on the tower mm-hmm. where everyone now has a lot to lose. A different worry. Because every single of our main characters going towards the tower have reached the culmination of their goal from the beginning of the story. Ooh, I like that. So nobody's leaving behind any unfinished business should something... You guys, I've already talked about my fears about who's going to die, and I... Megan is very excited to keep going, and I'm almost like, no, I'm good. So you've you've talked about... uh, Brandon's oh we should we should wait till we get to the we should wait till we get to the tower I'll bring this back up in a second but uh we're getting closer to the tower y'all I know we're doing some super long episodes here near the end but I feel at this point of the journey y'all are all really invested in the book and I'm really invested Emily's invested (laughs) you know who else is invested friend of the pod Ted and him yes hello Ted and Navani and Dalinar are heavily invested in each other. Yeah, they are. They are... Can you feel <laughs> the love tonight? They are... The peace they... <laughs> what? If <laughs> they embrace... Wait, what's the... What's Scuttle's... Um, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Kiss the girl. Wah, wah. That one? <laughs> That's the one. They're not even sneaking around, like, they're not making out in the middle of the square or whatever, but they are being very affectionate, and Dalinar's even like, I wonder how 
many people know. And he's not too worried that people are going to find out. Mm -hmm. So. Which is a big deal because culturally he's Mm -hmm. dating his sister. Right. Right. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but, um, I think it's the, sorry, I think it's the chapter where Navani and Dalin are, are still haven't like kissed or anything, but she mentions that. That's in this chapter. That's in this chapter. Okay. Uh, because Navani, uh, talks about what, a lot of the reasons why it's taken them so long to do this is she thought he still had affection for his wife and Navani says the wife's name, but Dalinar doesn't right. hear it. He just hears Navani say, shh, 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 shh. Yeah. And it's even printed in, like, a lighter gray in the book. Italicized, yeah. So, like, he can hear people talk about her, but it's, this is all brand new information to him. And I'm wondering, will he remember this conversation when it's done? Or is, are his memories only from, like, the point of the curse backwards? She changed everything, Navani said. You truly seemed to love her. I did, Dalinar said. Surely he had loved her, hadn't he? He could remember nothing. What was she like? He quickly added, I mean, in your opinion, how did you see her? So he's trying to gather facts, I guess. Um, Because, listen, when he goes and does his time-traveling, body-swapping thing, and he says something weird, people are just like, oh, he got hit on the head or whatever. But if he were to, like, make some faux pas about his own wife in the now, mm-hmm. that's not going to look good. And it takes Navani a bit to admit, but uh, she did not think Dalinar's wife was very clever. Oh, yeah. And that's like the worst insult she could come up with, too. Like, like I feel like for Navani, for someone to not be clever. I mean, look, she's the one who raised Yasna Kalin. Yeah. You know, that's got to be the most Who's cutting. terrifyingly intelligent. Yes. Dalinar cracks a joke about that. He says, oh, so we were matched in intellect. And she's like, no, no. But she did say that Dalinar and his wife, whoever she was, were a perfect fit for each other. In temperament. In temperament. Yeah. Emily, what does Dalinar's wife look like? He doesn't know. Okay. What do Dalinar's kids look like? Blonde. Adolin's blonde. Renarin's dark. Nope, they both <gasps> have the interwoven hair oh, highlights. Oh, I was about to say, if one of them's a ginger and I missed it, I'm going to be <laughs> mad. No, um, so do you remember our talk way back about how Punnett squares on Roshar work? Yes, and how Laurel dyed her streaks of blonde black. Mm-hmm. So she looks, I guess, pure Alethi. <gasps> so they're not pure Alethi. <gasps> oh! You did it! You did I don't know what a nail bond is, you but did. I figured this out. So that oh. means their mother would have been not Alethi. Her hair color would be blonde. Yes. Okay. Sorry, that's where I was trying to go with this. And the scare floor will be painted. Empty. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Was it a political alliance? Was it a political alliance? Does he remember his in-laws? Like, does he only just not remember his wife? Secret grandparents. It's, it's a theme. It's a theme. We don't know who Kaladin's grandparents are. We don't know who uh, Adolin and Renarin's grandparents are now. It's a mystery. And it's interesting. Okay, so maybe I'm jumping a little ahead or back or whatever, but I I wanted to say at one point, Navani mentions that 
she was never unfaithful while Gavilar was alive. Because that's one of the things mm-hmm. that um, I think Dalinar is worried about, that people will think that this has always been going on. Yeah. And she tells him, I was never unfaithful while he was alive, but I had reason to. Hey. Hey. This this shining king, this pinnacle of Alethi manhood. What reason could Gavilar have given Navani to justify her unfaithfulness? I am assuming that that meant Gavilar had affairs. I mean, like, mm-hmm. his king, I don't know if he exercised, what is it, prima noctis or whatever, like... Oh, uh, droit de seigneur? I guess that's also it, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, uh, prima noctis is... A king's right to be with any woman on her wedding night. Mm-hmm. Disgusting. Disgusting. Droit de Seigneur, I think, is like right of the king or like right of the father. And it's basically the king can have any woman he wants. Yeah. So I don't know if that is how Alethi's so, social situations work or if this is something that he had to do on the sly or I don't, I don't, we don't know a whole lot. So if the king had an affair and was spreading things like wildfire... <gasps> There's people in line for the throne, which is why they want to kill Elokar. <gasps> Elokar has a half-sibling out there somewhere who's trying to kill him so they can have the throne. <gasps> but then that means they have to kill Aelin and Renarin first. Oh, no! That's how they're going to get Dalin, I know! My worst fear! Emily is working herself into a tizzy. Ah! Do you remember in the Mistborn trilogy, Lord Venture Straff? No. Uh, Elen's dad? No. I remember Vin, and I remember the guy who lives forever, and I remember Kelstis. <laughs> you mean Kelsier? <laughs> How on earth could you misname the greatest hero in Fortnite? <laughs> Mistborn was so long. Do I make you reread No, Mistborn? don't make me reread it. Like, we don't have to podcast about it, but it's so long. Maybe it would. It's so long. Okay, you can just listen to uh, Natasha and Miles' okay. podcast about it instead. Well, okay. Spoilers for the second Mistborn book. Mm-hmm. Okay? Well of Ascension. Uh, one of the city lords, because in Mistborn, the magic system is hereditary. Mm-hmm. So one of the city lords deliberately has as many children as he can Whoa. because he is trying to have kids that are Mistings and are Mistborn. And Vin actually has a significant storyline with one of these like hidden children. Who I say children, he's he's her age. Okay, um, but she's not his daughter. No, okay. she's not his daughter. Okay. Um, but it's a very interesting storyline because this uh, this illegitimate son does have a brother who is a noble. And we see how very different their, their, their lives, lives are. Okay, I'm in this for the family drama. I want to know what happens with the Colins. I want to know what happened with uh, Shalon's family. Yeah. Um, listen, war is exciting, and, I mean, in the context of, of yeah. plot, you know. But give me the good old political intrigue and the family drama. That is okay. what I am here for. Well, if Colin's have family drama, you'll be sated. <laughs> yeah. um, they have a very interesting conversation as well while they're walking through the halls and, you know, not being as subtle as they 
we're used to, but uh, let me see if I can find the exact line. Okay. Because you were, you were talking about how you have great interest in this continued discussion of second sons. Yes. Okay, so Renarin is the second son. We talked about that a little bit. And how Dalinar looks on him fondly and how I think that's a really sweet storyline because I feel like maybe in another book, Renarin could have been turned up as like, I feel alone and my family doesn't love me. And, and if Dalinar were not the second son himself, he would, you know, maybe write uh, Renarin off. Mm -hmm. But because he is a second son, we're getting more glimpses of what it was like to be the king's brother and not the king himself. Mm -hmm. And one of them is... He tells Navani that he'd intended to court her, but once Gavilar expressed a preference for her, he stepped aside. And he's like, that's just what I did. That was my job, is to step aside for my brother, the king. It's interesting because it wasn't his brotherly duty, but it was his courtly duty. Yeah. And we find out in this thing that he almost murdered his brother. Like, he was seriously considering murdering his brother. Fratricide. He was considering murdering his brother. I don't know. It wasn't the throne, because he never wanted the throne. Or did he want the throne? It was, no. When Gavilar started courting Navani, oh. that's when Dalinar, the one time, we learned this um, during Dalinar's top ten listicle of best thrill moments. Mm -hmm. uh, the thrill really urged him to kill Gavilar, take Navani, take the throne all for himself. Mm -hmm. And that freaked him out so badly that he pulled away even further. Yeah, and he gave himself rules. And one of those rules was he could never have the throne. That is a rule he has put in place for himself that he would become someone he would not want to be if he were given the throne. So I just found that, I just found that really, really interesting. Um, because I'm the oldest in our family, mm -hmm. so I feel like I've never had to step aside for anybody. Do you feel, as the third child, do no. you feel okay? Well, well, and it's quite a bit different for us because we've never dated the same people. Right. Um, and even in our careers, we've never pursued exactly the same path. I mean, we both are very creative and we both want to write books and we both want to write screenplays. But I think if one of us gets there before the other, it's not going to be a... I'll like kill a you. <laughs> I call you, you'll never believe it, they bought my screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have had this sort of experience with friends though, like especially mm. in elementary school when, mm -hmm. you know, if someone told you that they liked someone, you couldn't like the same person they did because mm -hmm. they had dibs on it. Mm -hmm. Plot twist. You can't call dibs on human people. <laughs> like people can make their own decisions. Yeah. And now I'm not saying, I'm not saying, Hey, go after that person's spouse. But I'm saying if you both like the same person. <laughs> You don't the have to bow. Yeah, you don't have to bow aside and and be dramatic from the sidelines about it. Yeah, I just like Dalinar is such a strong personality. I just I I love the idea of him. Not love. That sounds weird. I'm fascinated by the idea of him bowing out as a matter of honor. What do you think Gavilar was like? From what I gather. He wasn't great until he found the codes. Mm -hmm. And once he found the codes, then he became like, like, what's, what's the word? The essence of a king? The... Uh, it became a, a true image of the king. Yes. Yes. I don't know why he wants to be back there, but he does. 
But uh, it doesn't matter anymore. Gavilar's dead. Dalinar and Navani are finally together. Kissing and hugging and nothing else. <laughs> so I... It's got to be bittersweet because we've talked so many times about how he does love his brother. He loved his brother. Mm -hmm. He misses his brother. But he's also got to be so happy to have Navani. I don't know. I just love how deep the storytelling is going. It's not, mm -hmm. he got the girl. It's, he got the girl he's always loved that went to his brother, the king, that he couldn't do anything about except maybe murder him. <laughs> but he chose not to. Like, there's so many levels and layers to this. And I am... I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So. That's great. I'm glad Dalinar got everything he always wanted because the horns called him to the tower. Mm-hmm. So, um, a call comes out. And if you remember from back in part two, there are horns that sound uh, along the lines of Morse code can tell you which plateau Chasm Fiend has been spotted upon. And they're going to the tower. The tower. Emily, we've talked about and seen the tower a couple other times in the book. Do you remember another significant scene that happened at the tower? That's where Kaladin tried to do the side carry mm -hmm. and ruined everything. Mm -hmm. um, that is also, isn't that where the, no, 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 no. Did they already have another battle there? They've never won a battle there. Never won a battle there. And I um, have been confused for a while because I thought maybe there was it was called the tower because there was like a giant chrysalis on it always that no one's ever been able to get into. But it's just a plateau that is called, I don't know why it's called the tower. Is it taller? Than it's the... taller than the others. Okay. So, so think of like a ramp all the way up. And one of the reasons why is because it's so much higher on one side, there's only one place to get on and off of it. Mm. Um, and so... Uh, the Parshendi can get onto it just fine because, remember, they can jump the chasms and they mm -hmm. can climb and things. And that's as far as they've ever explored as yeah. well. Because they've never won a battle at the tower, the Alessi have never established, like, permanent bridges or territory out there. Mm -hmm. And they're not sure much of what lies beyond it either. So I am not a strategist. I am not a chess player or a planner ahead or anything like that. But... If they wanted to take the tower, why don't they just, like, send people out there to, like, camp out there and claim it between battles? Okay. Uh, how many men would you suggest sending out there to permanently camp away from the main forces? They would need supplies. They would need reinforcements. If it's a small group, they could easily be wiped out by a Parshendi scouting party. And, sorry, I, I should say, there aren't permanent bridges all the way out here. Like, that's why we have the bridgemen carrying mm -hmm. the bridges yeah. and all of that. I just think if they're worried about supplies, why can't they send soul casters out there? Like, I feel like, again, not a strategist, not a anything like that. We're going to look at a map! <laughs> <laughs> if it's that important and, like, they've never been able to explore further... I guess they're really only interested in gem hearts, though, which is maybe why yeah. that they're... Okay, no, this makes sense because they're losing interest in the Vengeance Pact. Uh -huh. And that's why they're not advancing to go chase the Parshendi. Okay, that is making more sense in my head. So, on page 216, here is a map of the Shattered Plains. Mm -hmm. I want you to pull it open. That's the tower, that's the tower. In, the, in the bottom right-hand corner. And so this is the one place where you can get on and off of it. Okay. And as you can see around it, there's also a lot of empty space mm -hmm. around it as well. So like closer to camp, the 
plateaus are much, much closerly packed together. Okay. But it's hard to get out there. Mm -hmm. So that means it's hard to get your forces out there quickly. And because it's such like a big space, Mm -hmm. it's different tactics than you would use on on other plateaus and things. So the the plateau itself, the tower, is miles long. Okay. Um, because here are the the war camps, mm-hmm. and Kaladin even mentioned that each war camp itself is miles and miles, and you could fit like a whole war camp onto the tower. Got it. So they've never won a victory at the tower, so they couldn't even establish a temporary base there in order to send scouts out further. Got it. So uh, okay, and so Dalinar is like, hey. Nobody's ever won a battle at the tower, so if Sadius and I can get this victory together, it'll prove to everybody that it works. It works. Yes. And we just get a, a couple little a couple little scenes with Bridge Four getting ready to go. Oh yeah, this is the chapter where it's not one person's POV. Mm-hmm. It's what we get Kaladin, Dalinar, and Adolin. Yeah. Is that all three of them? Yep. And uh, Kaladin says that it's been 10 days since he's first tried this. They've done it six other bridge runs with their Parshendi corpse armor. And it's been really successful. Not only that, when they get to their bridge, all of the other bridge crews cheer for them. Oh, because they're saving them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe this is going off on a tangent. Thank you guys for sticking with us while we just like go on and on and on in the ep- in the chapter beggars and barmaids uh-huh. where shallan goes off to like draw and she's thinking how like no one no one studies the smaller things they all want to study like the great shells or like these all big yeah. things again kaladin saying sadis you don't know what you have here with these men yeah these people are missing the point of like a a symbiotic relationship yeah and it's like we talked about in the beggars and barmaids where one of the earliest recorded histories we have they're all about the lives of the nobles Mm -hmm. and the lives of common people are not always of interest to historians and therefore since they're not recorded we lose out on a bunch of uh, a bunch of history Mm -hmm. and so adolin's so excited that dad's not insane and the bridgemen are all so excited that, like, things are turning up and around for them. And Emily Sadius is even really excited. He's he so excited. He's like, we're going to do this. And, hey, do you want to come have dinner with me tonight? And we're going to talk about this. We're going to get it all worked out. And everything is going to be great. And and I want you to pay attention exactly what Sadius wants. Okay. He says, Dalinar, we need to bring more people. That's right. He's like, how many can you bring? And Dalinar is just like, well, I can bring 8,000. And Sadius is like, mm, I could probably round up 7,000. So Dalinar wasn't, Dalinar was only planning to commit, I think, maybe four or 5,000. Mm-hmm. And then Sadius is like, no, we have to crush them. We have to show a decisive victory. Mm-hmm. And he convinces Dalinar. Dalinar only has, I think, 10,000 men total. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe 12,000 men total. Okay. But he has... In this moment where he's so excited. And you were asked, you, this made you suspicious of Sadius. Yes. You thought this was part of the mind whammy or the thrill that Sadius was so happy and he was so excited. Mm-hmm. But he and comes overcommits. In, yeah. He comes in and he convinces Dalinar to commit 
the majority of his forces to the town. Yeah. Because this is going to be great, and we'll have dinner afterwards, and everything will be fine, and we'll celebrate our victory over the tower that no one has ever done before, and we're super great. When you're the best of friends. <laughs> so, Emily, let's talk about the tower chapter. Do we have to? We can go quick, because we are two hours in. <laughs> so, here's the beginning of chapter 65. It's called The Tower. And it says, I see them. They are the rocks. They are the vengeful spirits. Eyes of red. Kakakas, 1173, eight seconds pre-death. A dark-eyed young woman of 15. Subject was reportedly mentally unstable since childhood. Always trying to gaslight the Cassandras of the world. <laughs> so they've made it to the tower and and we can't show you guys this on the podcast obviously but there is a map of the battle of the tower drawn and labeled by navani colin uh so right now we know it is year 1173 oh hey so which is the same year that this this epigraph took place so, so i don't know if that means anything yeah but... whoever is collecting these epigraphs mm -hmm. they are doing it concurrently with the events of the story mm-hmm yep um so Sadius is saying, aren't you glad you're using bridgemen because, you know, that's the only way you're going to get to the tower because the chasms are too far even for a shard bearer to jump. Mm -hmm. So on this map, uh, they show the plan. So this glyph is Dalinar. This is House Colin, mm -hmm. And this is Sadius's forces. So this was the plan. Okay. Um, is that the two forces would divide the Parshendi forces from each other, mm -hmm. and they're anticipating additional Parshendi forces would come up from this little plateau here. Got it. Got it. Okay. So the Parshendi have already made it there, and they are trying to get to the gem heart because there's a chrysalis on the tower. So they're, you know, focused on that and doing that. And Dalinar's just like, this could be it. The turning point in the war, win this day, and everything would change. And so... Sadius is like, let's go, let's go, buddy, let's go do this together, and let's win this war. And Dalinar is seeing that there is a bridge crew that's got armor now, and he's like, huh, that's new, that's different, that's different. What's so different about this bridgeman? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, Sadius is, like, getting ready to go, and he's getting his, his uh, bridgeman lined up. Uh, and Dalinar still feels terrible about this because he says in the distance bridgemen began to die heralds guide your paths you poor men down our thought as well as my own just war is not it's warable it's warable yeah like the idea of like this could change the war down still i think is like vengeance pact we're gonna avenge my brother but everyone else here is let's get the gem hearts and so not that it would be okay if Bridgman died in pursuit of the Vengeance Pact, but it's just that much more sad that Bridgman are dying in pursuit of someone else gaining more wealth. Speaking of Bridgman dying, did you notice Teft got shot? I did! And they they use because uh, he tried to hide it yeah. also, and everyone's like, you dummy. And it's bad enough that Kaladin can't sew it up. He has to heat up a knife and it talks about the skin like crackling and blackening and i'm just like Ugh! and they're worried because remember that group of parshendi attacked them the last time they tried this so calvin's like keep an eye on them and rox says actually we don't have to worry sadius's men are all kind of staying in this area which should have been a clue 
and Emily, the fighting is happening. The fighting is happening, and Dalinar is just delightedly tearing through the Parshendi. Yes, he is, like, going left and right. He's got his armor on. The thrill is strong, and he is just, I'm going to say, like, He's got bloodlust in his eyes and his heart and his soul. Like, he's just completely overtaken by the need to kill things. And something stops him short, and it's when he comes up to a Parshendi and he realizes it's a young, not a young boy, but a young man. And that, like, completely halts him in his tracks, and he's just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And it's not like he he can, like, stop the battle to be like, stop, don't kill this young man, but... In the few seconds where he realizes this is a young kid, one of his soldiers comes through and just, like, slits the kid's throat and just moves on. And, like, the guy has no, he has no understanding of what Dalinar is going through at this moment. Mm -hmm. But Dalinar is kind of stopped short of just, like, what are we doing? Yeah. And I'd like to note that this Parshendi drew Fearspren. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Dalinar is thinking over the codes. And uh, he repeats them again, which are, never ask of your men a sacrifice you wouldn't make yourself. Never make them fight in conditions you wouldn't, you would refuse to fight yourself. Never ask a man to perform an act you wouldn't soil your own hands doing. He felt sick. This wasn't beautiful. This wasn't glorious. This wasn't strength, power, or life. This was revolting, repellent, and ghastly. But they killed Gavilar, he thought. Searching for a way to overcome the sickness he suddenly felt. Yeah, I feel like he's trying to pull the... Oh, sorry, keep going. Unite them. Yeah. I feel like he's trying to regain the thrill. To be like, I don't like this way that I'm feeling. I felt so much better the other way. But this has happened to him multiple times before where he's in the middle of the thrill in a battle and he all of a sudden is just like, ugh, this is not great. Yeah. And you've had some theories about that. Yes. I think it's wizard somehow that he's being mind whammied. I don't know if the, because th- the thrill is something the Alethi talk about anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like Dalinar, I don't know why he's the only, well, he might not be the only one. Sorry, I'm going in a million different directions. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Parshendi may have sorcerers or wizards or witches or whatever on their side to dampen people's enthusiasm about just coming in and slaughtering them wholesale, you know? Um, so. The thrill, do you think that someone is giving Dalinar something extra on top of it? Or do you think they're magically taking it away? I feel they're magically taking it away. Because he can't call it back. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's something you have to work up to. Like you have to have ten heartbeats to get your shard blade. Um, I feel like the thrill is something that would come on gradually enough that you can't just like turn it off and on. And as as he's feeling... Uh, this revulsion at what he's doing, he makes special note of what Dalinar believes is the most beautiful of all the Parshendi songs. Oh, yes. He believes the death song is the most beautiful. Because even as the Parshendi, like, once they're wounded enough to die, they do, they they lay down to die, and they keep singing this death song. And they all sing in perfect pitch and in perfect rhythm, no matter how far apart they are. Yeah. Are they a hive mind? Are they a hive mind? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So rude. We'll probably never find out. <laughs> Stop. 
And as this feeling of revulsion is growing stronger and stronger, Adolin screams out to him and says, Father, what do we do? <laughs> Emily, what do they do about what? What's happening? Sadius has taken his army and is retreating and is leaving Dalinar all by himself on the tower. By himself. Alone. To fight the Parshendi. I'm going to read, because Dalinar was thinking about some of the codes, but Dalinar didn't quite read out all of the codes. And so I'd like to read you some of the Alethi Codes of War. The Alethi Codes of War. Here we go again. Readiness. The officer will be prepared at all times for battle. Never drunken on wine. Never without his weapon. Inspiration. The officer will wear his uniform when in public to look ready for war and to give strength to his troops. Restraint. The officer will, restrain, will refrain from needless duels, arguments, or squabbles with other officers in camp to prevent injury to men who may be needed to command. Leadership. This is what specifically Dalinar was ruminating over. The officer will require no action of his soldiers that he would not be willing to perform himself. Honor. The officer will not abandon allies on the field, nor will he seek to profit from the loss of his allies. <gasps> oh, because here was one of my theories is that Sadius was going to use the excuse of the way of kings to be like, well, I, I wouldn't have wanted to ask my men to do something I would not have. But, uh... He's straight up breaking the codes. Straight up breaking the codes. I cannot say I'm surprised. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised it happened, but I cannot say I'm surprised. I mm -hmm. cannot. Not with Sadius. So why was he told to trust him? Why? Who told Dalinar to trust him? Uh, it was... So it was the deep voice at the end of the vision. Yeah. So, so not someone in the vision, but there's always an extra voice at the end. And Dalinar was just asking a question. He says, do, you know, my son Adolin thinks I'm a fool to trust Sadius. Should I trust him? And the voice says, yes, act with honor and honor will aid you. So who has honor that's going to aid him? I don't know. I am so upset and so angry that I let my guard down for 10 pages and was like, Sadius isn't that bad. And I just got to remember, I have to be on Adolin's side and be like, he's the worst. Sadius was abandoning Dalinar and his troops, leaving them surrounded on three sides by Parshendi, alone on the shattered plains. And he was taking all of his bridges with him. So they're stuck. And Dalinar doesn't have a way off. Oh, did you not realize no, that? No, I didn't realize that. Emily. <gasps> Emily. <gasps> Emily. <gasps> He convinced Dalnar that the Chulpold bridges were too, too slow. <gasps> this is the long only, con! They've only been using no! Sadius's bridges. And Dalinar has committed all of his forces onto the, the plateau. tower. Yeah. So all of his men are on the plateau because the idea is if you look at the if you look at the map battle, that the Colins are force A, they move in first. Mm -hmm. And when the Parshendi reinforcements come, then B, Sadius, was to follow move. after. So he literally came up with the battle plan that would have all of Dalinar's forces on the tower. His men have not engaged at all. And they're taking literally... So oh, how are these men still following Sadius? Why can't there be, like, a revolution to be like, sir? Well, okay... I don't think soldiers question the orders they get in the middle of the battle. That's the whole point of being a soldier. That's true. And I think people who are high up enough would be horrified 
and cowed by this extreme listen the alethi love war and they love their ruthlessness Mm -hmm. and wow emily how how's everybody gonna react when nobody comes home from dalinar sadius is gonna say we were attacked oh this is terrible oh no I better take over all the rest of Dalinar's men because I am that sort of good and kind person and I have no personal stakes in this whatsoever. So this is why I was saying it was so, it's so horrible that all of our main characters have no unfinished business. So Dalinar's gonna die! Well, he's not the only person there. Uh, You know everything you've been saying about a second son always having to step aside? Yes. What if he's not the second son anymore after this? I don't get it. Renarin. Yeah. But Renarin's not there. He's not. But Adolin is. Emily. So now we're in predictions corner. <laughs> so... Kaladin will be fine because all the bridgemen are going back with Sadius, right. so they're not engaging. We don't in the have to battle. worry about him for once. For once, but we have all of the Colins on the plateau. Does your ship die here? It might. <laughs> like I don't even want to say it, but someone big. Like okay, listen, I'm just following the pattern of Brandon Sanderson. This isn't me wanting anything bad to happen, but Brandon kills off main point of view characters all the freaking time. Yeah. And we've got Dalinar and Adolin, who are both m- main point of view characters mm-hmm. on the freaking battlefield. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> how many Parshendi are there? Do they have a chance? Uh, like, how are they supposed to get back? Do they? Have, they don't have ladies there. They can't raid Spren anyone. Ren Spreed? What? <laughs> Spren? <laughs> Why can't I get that? Raid Spren? Read yeah, spread. I know, I know. Uh, like they can't, raid. they can't send like SOS. Please come help. Do and they they're have flares but... for miles and miles and miles. Yeah, I don't know. Do they have like trained birds? <laughs> can, like send a raven. <laughs> you mean chickens? No. <laughs> like, uh, like hey, Emily, have you noticed any birds? No, in this that's book what so I'm saying. Maybe, well, maybe Brandon forgot to tell me. Like he forgets to tell me people are married. <laughs> So how are they supposed? Because like even if they survive, even if they survive, they have to keep going and find a way around. They can't get off the tower, Emily. <sighs> There's literally no way off the tower without bridges. Oh my god! Not even. And Sadie's even says not even somebody in charge. Like, <gasps> we better stop this recording so Emily can read and find out what happens. <laughs> Tune in next week where we see if Emily can handle a major character death or not. No! Okay, bye everyone. <laughs> Okay, so Emily is freaking out um, <laughs> while she's doing that. Can you do it farther away <laughs> while she's doing that? I'm going to tell you guys what chapters are going to read next week. Okay, next week we're going to cover 66 codes, 67 words. I've got to tell them the chapters. S- 68 Eshenai. So, three chapters next week. 66, 67, and 68. Can I read it now, Yeah, here, here's the book. Okay. Bye, everyone. See you next week.
Listen, I understand. I could probably work on my reading comprehension just a little more so <laughs> that I could understand what is going on at, at any given time of the book. <gasps> but whoa, what a cliffhanger. Am I right? Ooh. Well, if you want to find out what happens next in our next episode, come join us on May 12th. That is when our next Way of Kings episode is going to go up. But if you want to hear from Megan and I earlier, come join us on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. That is our next Roswell episode. And if I'm not mistaken, is that our season finale? I think it might be. <gasps> it's the season finale of season one. We finally got through season one and Megan's been such a good sport about it because that's my pick. I made her sit and view it and she's the best sister ever for doing it. Um, in the meantime, come check out our social media feeds on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at SisMadeMeViewIt. It's mostly just pictures of our pets and Ren Fair outfits and, you know, stuff like that. Nothing, nothing earth-shattering or groundbreaking, but we have fun with it, don't we? A special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm. Oh, and... Here's a little extra special something for those of you who are still here listening to our exit. Megan, unbeknownst to me, recorded all of my reactions to the next few chapters that happen after the tower. I may or may not have put something together set to music. So that will come around next week. Just be prepared again with the reading comprehension. I find out a couple things about Kaladin and it absolutely turns my world upside down and Megan is rightfully right to mock me for it. So look for that in two weeks. You'll get to hear all about it. Until then, I hope your week goes well and I want good things to happen for you and I hope they do and I hope you get to go do the things that make you happy and remember, we believe in you. Bye.